Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 557, with Justin Elliott. If you want to be better each day, then you need to know how good you were the day before, right? Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Cashflow is something every small business is worried about, and it's hard to know at any given moment how you're doing. And worse, it's virtually impossible to predict the future until now. Welcome to CashflowTool.com, the ultimate companion for any small business using QuickBooks. CashflowTool.com gives you instant visibility on any device anywhere of your cash flow, and it also alerts for unexpected expenses. On top of all this, it analyzes your past finances and projects how much money your company will have tomorrow, next week, and next month. Go to www.cashflowtool.com slash unstoppable and enter promotional code unstoppable at checkout and receive pro features at the essential features price. Introducing Ethics Suite, the first and only misconduct, theft, and fraud reporting platform exclusively for the restaurant industry. Check out restaurantethics.com to see how restaurant employees can report any concerns anonymously, easily, and securely from any device with internet connection. However, if you're an owner or manager, you should check out ethicssuite.com slash restaurantunstoppable for more information on how you can monitor and respond to these reports and stay informed about issues that could affect your business and your reputation. One more time, that's ethicssuite.com slash restaurants unstoppable. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Justin Elliott. My man, Justin, are you feeling unstoppable today? I'm definitely feeling unstoppable today. Yes. And before we get started, I got to give a special shout out to my boy, Casey Hensley, for introducing you to me and so many other people. Uh, You're my first Austin interview. So, man, there's some good stuff coming. I cannot wait. Uh, All right. Graduate of the University of Texas at Austin, Justin Elliott spent his formative years bartending around New York City's boroughs. Since returning to his home state, Elliot has become one of the most prominent, respected bartenders, operators, and consultants in Texas, having done turns at Midnight Cowboy as the head bartender at Key, where he was named Eaters Austin's 2014 Bartender of the Year, and most recently in his role as manager, managing partner at the widely acclaimed restaurant The Townsend, and as the general manager at Juniper. Elliot has consistently produced forward-thinking programs that have been recognized by Bon Appetit, Playboy, Texas Monthly Magazine, uh, or sorry, Texas Monthly, Zagat, Southern Living Magazine, Imbibe, Food Republic, Star Chefs, and many more in 2018. Working with Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits, Elliot made the switch to being a full time consultant. Man, you got a lot going on, dude. Oh, yeah, you're telling me. <laughs> I cannot wait to dive into your story and to find out how you got to where you are today. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Um, a lot of uh, pre-shifts uh, in the towns and days. Uh, I would close it by reminding everyone to fight chaos every day. Mm. Fight chaos every day. What does that mean to you? How does that resonate with you? Uh, well... It's. I think it's kind of like a natural extension of just that 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 idea of, you know, uh, leaving a place slightly better than you found it. You know, um, uh, it's also you know owes something to you know the Danny Myers um, salt shaker Keeping extended metaphor. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you know, it's um, 
There's a lot. There's a lot of crazy stuff that happens when you invite people into your house and running a bar or restaurant is basically inviting oftentimes hundreds of people into your home and uh and it's about you know taking all of the, those kind of chaotic forces and making something you know beautiful and memorable and comfortable out of it yeah you know and, it, and no two days are exactly the same Never. in this industry and it's getting okay with that mm-hmm. realizing that anything could happen and if things don't go exactly according to plan as long as people are happy at the end of the day that's what really matters right yeah kind of <laughs> kind of it's like that's that's like my takeaway but i always wanted my staff to believe that there like it is also possible to um run to if you if we try hard enough and we believe that there is an idea of perfection even though we might move that goalpost down the road um if 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 we're tackling it every day uh you know maybe we can't have to have have things so so smooth and so seamless and so fluid that like you can have two days be the same insofar as like looking back at them and being like yeah nailed it definitely nailed it today i mean let's be honest it didn't it doesn't happen much but uh, <laughs> that that is like the the noble pursuit i think i got it awesome so graduate of the university of texas at austin you majored in uh, theater yeah, is that's what right. I saw. So yeah. I would imagine that would probably would have served you well in this industry. We were often on considered to be on stage. Yeah, uh my I was uh on a like a writing and directing track. Um so like the performative side of things wasn't um that's not that's not where I kinda get off, you know, in operations. Uh, I think that maybe that is why I've ultimately kind of uh flourished in the kind of creative driven uh, you know, restaurant and cocktail scene, though uh, it has been uh, like, like the creative side of it. And then like the, the directing study side, like a lot of that direction stuff and production stuff is about, um, you know, it's about managing people and it's about getting the right things in place. So that things uh, when it's go time, um, nothing hinky happens. Got you. Um, so you made your way out to New York, right? Right after graduation. So what was that move all about? What were you going on there? Well, um, at that point, I still kind of thought that I was going to pursue a career in theater. Uh, I got bored of it kind of quick. The scene didn't, it just didn't feel right. It didn't feel authentic to me. And I was playing a lot of music, um, which that's kind of like, I think been kind of my journey from starting from, you know, basically trying to find like ever more, uh, kind of like primal outlets for like creating like a, a space, right? So, you know, the theater is like this event, but it's really, uh, uh, it's orchestrated in a kind of elaborate, I don't want to say pretentious way, but like there's a, there's a lot of pretense to it, right? There's a lot of pomp and circumstance and, um, you know, and then it wasn't doing it for me. I didn't feel like the, I didn't feel like I was, you know, audiences were connecting with the theater at all, not just shows that I was producing, but you know, I'd go to other shows and basically it just felt like a bunch of actors going to see each other perform. And that got super boring. Cause if we're not, you know, it was, I think it was very much like a, you know, a tree falling in a forest and no one was around. Right. Like it, it was kind of self-congratulatory. And I was like, well, maybe people don't care about theater. Like, and maybe I don't want to, maybe I don't want to be like the, the savior of the, the modern stage. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, and I was, I'd always played music too. And, you know, those shows, people that weren't musicians would come out and see bands, you know, and that, that felt right. That felt like more like, you know, 
when we have these events, we're like connecting with people, right? That was like the thing that was fun. Like it's a, it's a happening, right? And, you know, and the more I got into, you know, that's attending bar to uh, make ends meet and creating those spaces, you know, A, it paid better than playing in rock and roll bands. <laughs> Can't pay your rent and drink tickets, you know what I mean? Um, and, uh, you know, I, I liked those spaces. I liked these, like, neighborhood dive bars where I was working. Like, I liked the sense of community. And um, it felt like it scratched that itch as much, if not even more, than than um, putting on, you know, booking shows and playing shows. Uh, it just kind of all made sense. Like, just kind of all made sense. So one thing that's kind of uh, coming to the surface for me is, is your desire to make sure the people you're performing for or serving are satisfied and, and appreciate what you're doing for them. Uh, is that a stretch to say yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. I, I'd caveat it by saying that, like, it's not just uh, – I, I'm not. I, I'm not doing it when I like. So you know, uh, my biggest part of my background uh, and my specialization is in in the cocktail side, right? Um, and a lot of those are kind of you know, creatively driven, right? But um, I'm not trying to make drinks that like somebody will drink and be like, "That was so good. You are so good at making creative drinks." Like, I want to create the kind of drinks that are like just thoughtful enough for people to be excited about it, but that work within the space, uh, that like amplify the other kind of points of like the, 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 the idea, like the culture of that space. Right. So like when I write like a cocktail program, like they're not interchangeable. Like it would, I wouldn't write this program, uh, You're for X restaurant and then just give it to Y restaurant. Compliment the personality of the restaurant. Yeah. I think it's like the, I write cocktail programs the way that, you know, you would hope somebody's, curating like the Spotify playlist. You know okay. what I mean? Like they should all amplify like these kind of core elements that we care about in that space. And like when you do that, I think you create, you know, a, a space that like has that internal logic and then people are more comfortable naturally in that. Cause they kind of know where they are a little more like grounds them to like not be thinking about, uh, you know, anything kind of aberrant, you know, there's nothing jumping out as, like out of place when everything is in place, then, um, you know, you have a better, it's easier for people to just kind of be and breathe and talk and like exist in that community. Beautiful, man. Uh, so when did you really start to think to yourself, this is going to be my path. This is what I want to do. This is, this is my jam. When did you know that this was going to be your career? Um, well, I always had a sense that, uh, I would, so I always had a sense that like there would be some kind of entrepreneurial edge to um, like a life in the, in the service industry. Cause I loved these bars that I worked at. I love these bars that I hung out at, you know, in New York, we didn't spend time going to a lot of nightclubs, like even like the, like, you know, rock and roll, you know, venues that, you know, our bands played in, like there was a sense of uh, a very particular community in those places. You'd see the same people. Right. Um, and I liked that. I kind of wanted to be a part of that. Um, and so I kind of figured that was the path that I was going. And eventually I would just, you know, be a partner at a neighborhood joint. And that would, that would kind of be it. Uh, I don't think there was really a moment where I was, um, where I, where there was like an epiphany for me, but, um, I kind of just 
I had a, I think I always had a little bit of a suspicion and that suspicion just grew stronger and stronger over the, you know, decade plus in the, in the business. So you spent, I think, was it close to like 10 years Almost, in, yeah. in New York? Were there any key mentors, people that really helped shape you as a hospitality person? Um, no, not, not really. Um, not in the way that I think of the mentors that I've had since then. Um, there were definitely people that I looked up to, people that I cared about. I worked at the same uh, neighborhood joint in Long Island City for like seven years or something like that in Long Island City, Queens. And, um, you know, John Patera, who's the uh, owner of the place, you know, is a friend. And, I, you know, I didn't learn anything about business from him. Um but I kind of learned, but I kind of looked up to him because he was a guy kind of like me that just kind of did it. Like he just worked in the business for a really long time, scraped some money together and like bought the lease of like a, you know, a bar that wasn't doing so well and kind of created his own thing and just scraped to get by. I mean, he still actually worked for the first like several years that we were open. He still worked with like bartending shifts uh, at a fine dining place in like Greenwich, Connecticut, to pay for the bar that he owned in Long Island City, Queens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he just, he just did it like that was he's like that's this is what I, you know. And there's something about that that kind of grinding sensibility like made us all want to do right by him. You know, those of us that work there really go into that 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 impact that when you see somebody else hustling to make it happen, how that makes you want to show up for them. Yeah, I mean, you know, you can say it's kind of like that you know, leading from the, from the front mentality. Um, you know, there's in this business, like, uh, you know, we kind of often wear our hearts on our sleeve a little bit. It's hard to go out there and like create these great spaces that people want to be in and spend money in and like be comfortable. in if like you're having a horrible day, right. Um, it's the same thing with, you know, a boss, like, if you're working for somebody you don't respect, it winds up trickling down. You know, it winds up impacting uh, who you are in that role. And working for somebody that you do respect, that you do care about, like made it possible for us in the early years at this bar, Dominic's Hook, in Long Island City, Queens. Uh, it made it possible for us to kind of just suck it up and deal with the fact that we were dead, like dead, dead, like you know, hoping to make 20, 30 bucks enough money for like, you know, a sandwich and a six pack of beer and like a, you know, subway pass back home. You know what I mean? Uh, after service. But, you know, we knew the place was going to catch. We knew that like we would cultivate the regulars we wanted to cultivate. And we knew that it was, you know, he had chosen to open this place in this neighborhood that was just about to blow up. And, you know, several years later, boy, did it, you know, and we were all making tons of money. So what were, what were some of the things that you knew about this location that you knew it was going to catch, that you knew that it was going to get okay? Like, yeah. Well, and this is like, you know, the, the, the always, uh, you know, thrilling New York city real estate speculation market or whatever. I mean, it was in a neighborhood that was uh, in transition. It was on the water. Basically the bar wasn't, we were a couple, uh, we're on kind of the main, the main drag of that neighborhood, uh, uh, Vernon Boulevard, but it was just, we were just a couple of uh, blocks up from uh, where, you know, on the water they had, you know, 
they were redeveloping the waterfront, right? Like they were kind of finishing extracting the last of like the, you know, cancer causing pollutants from its days, like as, you know, like an industrial wasteland out of the, it was like a super fun site or something, you know what I mean? Like, uh, but then they started dropping these, you know, sky rise, um, uh, apartment buildings, like big ones. There's one, there's a couple more. We knew that there were plans for a few more and, we didn't know how fast they'd be able to get them done, but boy, they just started, I mean, you can't even, I mean, you used to be able to see, you know, the Manhattan skyline, like, uh, beautiful, the staring at the Empire State Building from, you know, the the front window of the bar. Now all you can see is apartment buildings <laughs> in Queens, you know. Which is good for business. Yeah, uh, yeah, they've, yeah. So, what was it, I mean. Less romantic, though, now, you know. What were the, take us through, like, what it was like going from crickets to getting busier and busier. What was the mentality? What were the things that you were doing? I mean, obviously, the it, I mean, real estate market yeah. had a big play on yeah. that. But you, I'm sure you weren't the only bar uh, that people could go to. You had to compete for some of that market, right? Uh, at first, we were pretty much. <laughs> oh, really? It was us in this uh, terrible um like kind of sportsy Irish pub, you know, they had the TVs and all the cops hung out there and we were like the other bar. We were like the weirdo art bar. I mean, we weren't really arty, but we were pretty arty compared to the other <laughs> yeah. spot. A couple other places opened pretty quickly after us within like that first year that, that we we had opened. Um but I mean I think it helped that I was, you know, young and dumb and a starving artist in New York City and I just kind of figured this is how it how it ought to be, you know, I didn't really have a sense of what I was paying dues for necessarily, but yeah. I kind of had a sense that I was paying some kind of dues and, you know, I liked my boss and I liked the place and I just, I don't know. I, I just, I kind of just believed in it. Sometimes yeah. you just, you know, it's like the same reason I'm like a Jets fan. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. They're not good. They're never <laughs> going to be, but it's like, what am I going to not be a Jets fan? <laughs> yeah, I, I pick up what you're putting down. So two things I'm pulling from this part of your, your life. First, uh, you know, just be ahead of the market, right? Yep. Uh, look, project what's going to happen in a certain area. I think that's a huge opportunity right now. I think the the medium-sized cities of the world, the country, uh, are going to be the where all the opportunity is because sure. people are getting out of the big cities. It's too and I think it's And I think it's really important to to um, do it in a way that I think was kind of informed, you know, has informed my, my life, you know, working at this place was, uh, you know, see the opportunity, but don't try to just cash in on it. Still do it your way. Still be yourself. Be authentic about it. Mm. You know, I don't, it w- I don't think it would have worked if, you know, we opened some, really swanky place assuming that now all these buildings are going up like it's probably gonna be a bunch of you know like rich people that want to you know like it wouldn't it wouldn't have worked like these people want neighborhood places they work in manhattan they come back to lion city because it's a little bit cheaper and they can afford to live there and they want to go to like fun neighborhood places when they're when they're going out if we tried to open like a fine dining restaurant it would even though that was like my partner or my boss's background like it wouldn't have worked you know so what was authentic um, in this circumstance? You said it's about that authenticity. How is it authentic? Yeah, I mean, we played the music that we wanted, and we, um, you know, we had there, there, there were like a lot of artists that lived in that neighborhood, and we just put their stuff up on the walls. So it was an extension of that neighborhood. Yeah. It was by the people for the people. Yeah, the people that were kind of already living in that neighborhood, not necessarily the people that were moving into the moving, uh, moving into those skyscrapers. <laughs> yeah. Although those people hung out with us too. Once they realized that like there was like a fun, authentic place, you know, run by, you know, some 
Weirdos. So I guess there's three lessons. The first that I mentioned, you know, like projecting the market, being mm-hmm. ahead of the market, uh, being true and authentic to yourself in the community that you're building this mm-hmm. restaurant. And the first one that you mentioned, uh, I think there's this false pretend or this false idea that when you open your restaurant, it's going to get easier. You're the boss and everybody else does the work. But the truth is the most successful restaurateurs are still the ones that are busting their ass the oh, hardest for sure. because everybody looks to that person and goes, I, that's the standard. That's yeah. what I'm supposed to do. And if you have a boss or an owner, that's like the guy that sits at the bar and barks order and, and who's never satisfied, yeah. like who wants to work for that asshole? Yeah, exactly. So those are the lessons I pull from that. Yeah. Uh, I think eventually I mean, what's that? Yeah. I think there, and I think there's, really animating lessons for me absolutely know, to, to this day so you came back to new york or sorry to uh, austin from new york yep. what was the reason why'd you get out of austin it sounds like you had a pretty sweet gig with this bar maybe you, you keep referencing this guy as maybe p- potentially being a partner was that yeah well, he was so when i when i was leaving um like on my last day he was like man i can't believe you're actually leaving because it's been seven something years i've been working for him i can't believe you're, uh you're leaving i thought we we're gonna be you know partners in like the next place and i was just like why are you well, saying why, this why now? Why this now, man? <laughs> yeah. like, gave me, <laughs> you know, um, and you know, we still we still talk. Uh, you know, I feel like if I opened a neighborhood joint in in Austin, I would, you know, very, I would very, very much look to kind of honor, you know, uh, where I came up in in that place. Um, but it was it was just kind of time to go. I was staring down, you know, my thirties, um, living in New York City, playing in rock and roll bands and tending bar three, four nights. And, uh, it was just, I kind of needed like a lifestyle change. I kind of needed to, you know, process the things that I had. I, didn't, I knew I had learned a lot of stuff, but like a lot of it, like I wasn't sure what it was. I knew I needed to like kind of, you know, uh, take some, take some time to, to kind of decompress and then kind of put it all back together. So we actually went to, um, Savannah, Georgia for a year, uh, played some music and just kind of hung out got a dog taught myself how to cook you know um and then at that point knew i didn't want to settle down in savannah forever an old uh an old drummer of mine um had resettled in austin too and he's like you should come check it out you know uh, we had just fired our drummer in savannah <laughs> he's like you should go check it out austin there's some cool stuff going on i never thought i'd come back to austin it was fine for college, but I was like, yeah, it's... I Where are you know. from originally? I grew up in Houston. Okay. My family's from D.C., but we moved to Houston when I was young. Gotcha. So you did come back to Austin. What was it yeah. different when you came back? It was. I mean... Ten years had gone by about... Yeah. Uh, and I had hardly even visited in the intervening years. Uh, but I came back. It was like, you know, right after... I came to visit. Uh, it was right after, um, you know, the original location of Barley Swine. And so it was like, you know that kind of dining was like um it was really it was it was you know revelatory you know especially for austin it was was this mix of like really thoughtful far out ingredients in a and preparations in like a um you know really unpretentious really small little neighborhood joint that really it did feel like some of my favorite stuff from you know living in brooklyn or whatever it was kind of going on that time. I was like, okay, all right. So Austin's doing some neat stuff. And, you know, there was, um, uh, it, it just, it's like, okay, yeah, it's like, okay, yeah. So things, things are, there's like an energy here that like, I didn't remember being here, you know, 10 years prior. So correct me if I'm wrong, but the first gig you had when you got back was key. Uh, no, when I got back to, uh, 
uh, Austin. I started at a cocktail bar about probably like the you know elder statesman of Austin cocktail bars uh, called Peche uh, down in the warehouse district. Um, you know, very Austin's first like you know really like pre-prohibition style vibes. You know, kind of Euro cocktail bar, or, you know, wearing twenties absinthe and guys in vests and you know was, so uh, what was it about this place that drew you in well why did you choose this with the experience oh i had? needed a gig you yeah. know what i mean uh i wasn't really doing uh, i wasn't like deep deep in the cocktail world uh you know when i got that gig but i i think i looked the part so they just kind of assumed that I was, you know <laughs> did you walk i was in like with a vest i literally was wearing a vest and i had a mustache and they're like this guy probably knows what he's doing and they, you know and, and the rest is history that i was like crash coursed you know from there my um uh my old roommate at the time he was uh uh he he was pretty deep in the cocktail scene in new york so i was able to kind of I, I definitely had a familiarity with that style of, of drinking i just never Spent a lot of time making those types of drinks. Um, so, how much time did you spend here? Was is was it? Just I was at Peche a- for about six months. Okay. Uh, yeah, it was about six months, and then I got hired away. I quickly moved up to uh, like an assistant management position, and I got hired away to to um, take over uh, a place called the Volstead on the east side, Volstead and um, Hotel Vegas, which is like their uh, venue kind of sister establishment. This compound over on the east side um and they you know wanted to try to run a more serious cocktail program than they had had when they first opened i mean this was just like a couple of months after they had opened um and so i went over there for a while i was there for over a year uh doing a kind of a weird mix of but a fun mix of like some fancy cocktails and then like some just real low life drinks too you know what i mean like a lot of like a lot of beer in a shot a lot of like just like party nights we threw a lot of you know weird parties different types of djs and um it was it was definitely like a schizophrenic atmosphere but um it was really fun for a while so let's zoom up to like thirty thousand feet real quick because uh i want to make sure we spend most of the time today talking about the, the places you're at where you evolved most as yeah, a sure. professional um before we well where were those places if you could just ident- identify them real quick and then yeah i mean probably like the two most like for, if we're talking like formative periods, we're definitely like you know just sucking it up and doing nothing and like just cultivating regulars, and like building a community in Queens at Dominic's Hook, and then the years um, I spent over at Key, which was my first like true full on like high pressure you know beat down of a gig every day uh, in like the best imaginable way, working with. Um, some of the sharpest minds and most creative minds like in the business in the world, you know, everybody that left that place has gone on to do some, something amazing. Uh, it, it was, you know, that this place is key. This is key. Yeah. yeah. So real quick, you mentioned something earlier that I think is significant. You said you needed to kind of get away from the industry, decompress, uh, absorb what you've learned and what really matters to you when you were in Savannah, you kind of just skimmed over that when you did go to Savannah and you got away from the industry, when you got back into the industry, how had you absorbed these new things? Who were you? What were your, your opinions at that point? Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm still, I think I'm still kind of, you know, every day I feel like I understand a little bit better who I was the, than I did the day before. Right. Um, I try to be really like a, I try to be a, like a reflective person. Um, 
doesn't necessarily always work, you know. <laughs> Also, you know, go off half cocked sometimes. So I try really hard, right? Um, and in you know, in Savannah, like th- that was just a time to. I, mean, it, I would say it had less to do with like you know uh, the industry, less to do with even like my like art. It was like literally, it was a time to like just kind of work on like the things like make a person like feel human a little bit after you know almost a decade like running around New York City, you know. Um, like I, th- I feel like it was really important to take some time to like kind of start learning like the fundamentals of how to like cook food for myself. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, <laughs> uh, and you know, like going like going for a walk with a dog. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I like it just like really like kind of understanding. You know, like just t- taking some time to do that. I just like some kind of, you know personal care you know i hear you i mean i can only imagine what 10 years in the city can do to you yeah, especially that kind i of love lifestyle. it i miss it every day but <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. i hear you uh, so when you came back to uh austin uh one of the other things you mentioned that really stood out to me uh when you went to this this first uh, gig, I can't remember the Peche. name. Peche. Uh, you kind of didn't really have a clue of the, what the craft cocktail scene was, but in six months, you rose to a, a management role. So yeah. what was it about you and what you were doing to go from somebody who was kind of uh, not used to that environment? And if I'm putting words into your mouth, I apologize. But uh, to to not really having that experience to being in a management position. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, th- I have a little bit of an obsessive personality uh with stuff sometimes a lot a lot of things um and it was like to be making these types of cocktails every day like you know a lot of like really like diet just dialed in classics you know just um and people thinking that this is the best cocktail bar in the city which i mean at the time like it was i mean there's there's a lot of competition in it now, and Peche still absolutely stands tall. Yeah. But at the time, I mean, it was like a complete game changer for the city. Nobody else was hardly doing what we were doing, right? Um, and, you know, there was an expectation there, and that I kind of fed off of uh, those vibes a little bit too. People looking at me like I knew what I was doing made me want to, you know, continue to like redouble my efforts um, and, you know, and kind of maybe prove them right, you know? Um, and so I just, I studied and studied and studied and I worked on my technique and I worked on my speed and I, you know, um, I, you know, paid attention to the, you know, management side of things. And I just, you know, I just, I just read I just, and for almost any moment that I wasn't working, I was like reading a book about, you know, about the, the cocktail histories, being and, completely absorbed yeah. into your craft, your work, and I think people that some people who want to make it in this industry don't realize that that's what it takes yeah. to really be the best to commit your life to. Yeah, it. and this was the f- place that I feel like was the first time I, I got a, a sense of you know being on a you know a part of something with like that many people that just gave a shit every single day. You know what I mean? You know, and I I, I feel like that. Um, that has informed, you know, the way that I've tackled every project since then. Like, um, you know, and it was similar, like when I played music, like if I would start playing in a different genre, pick up a different, you know, instrument, if I got, when I got into like recording or whatever, uh, you know, I would tackle it kind of obsessively like that, but, um, to kind of find that permission structure in a restaurant, um, like a, you know, a vocation, a thing that I could you know do for a living, like have that care that much about the kind of technical side of it 
um, I think really informed uh, how I've approached, you know, every bar and restaurant that I've worked on since then. Something else too, you said just the first time where somebody, where people actually gave a fuck, other people gave a fuck. I think that's a huge lesson there too. Go to places where other people give a fuck because you will rise to that level. Oh, absolutely. Right? You, you've got to surround yourself with other passionate people if you want a chance to to use that as a launch pad for other opportunities. Yeah, for later. sure. Uh, it, it can be, and it can, you know, it can be tough when you work with a lot of other people that care that much also. Cause like you're not always going to be perfectly aligned. Uh, and so, you know, learning how to kind of, you know, arbitrate those sorts of, you know, um, the, the, the conflicts that come, come about when a lot of, there's a lot of people that are, you know, you y'all think you're running in the same direction, but you know, eventually there there can be some some dissonance. Um, you know, that's something that, you know, I, like I I think that I get better at every year also. But I mean, in those early days, like you know, it was definitely sloppy for me as I was, um, uh, trying to balance you know my ambitions with uh you know, the fact that I was still like you know. And still am to this day like like a student, you know, of this business. So eventually you found yourself over at Key. So this is probably one of the places where you were surrounded with the most talented, skilled people. How did you find yourself in that position? Um I got lucky, I think. <laughs> um, you know, I knew I knew a couple of people that were involved in the in the opening process and I, I had developed a little bit of a name for myself in Austin for my uh time a little bit of Pesce and then more at the Volstead, you know, which was a program that I was uh, running myself. And, um, so they wanted to get, you know, somebody local that had some pedigree to run the, run the bar program. I wasn't, uh, so I was originally hired as kind of like the assistant bar manager or whatever. And they brought in a cat from Chicago who it just kind of didn't work out with him uh, really early on. And they just kind of gave me the keys to the car and let me, get weird. I mean, that was the thing about that place is it was just like unchecked creativity every day. Like we were just allowed to do whatever, uh, we were allowed to feel like we were allowed to do whatever we wanted, uh, in pursuit of like, uh, like, you know, really memorable guest experience. Um, so take us through that. What, what it was like for you? I mean, it was the second time you kind of had the keys to the car. Like you said, the first time at the Vol, what was it? The Volstead. The, the yeah. Volstead or Volstead. Yep. Uh, and the second time at key, what, what's it like to be held or be, be held in this point of, of uh, authority, this uh, point of control from like the first couple of times, like going from being an employee to the guy calling the shots. Well, how do you make that transition? Well, uh, at key, it w- I was, uh, really fortunate to be surrounded by um, some other front of house and back of house management that was senior to me that um, helped me kind of uh, help kind of corral like you know my crazy ideas the way that I would often help you know with with them too like uh, just bouncing ideas off each other and trying to kind of stay focused and you know and and having someone gently or occasionally quite firmly like tell you when you've taken. Something a little further than you maybe needed to uh, with one, with one of your ideas, um, you know. I, but at the end of the day, we were trying to do. Um, we were kind of trying to do everything right. There was no, there were really no rules uh, governing, um, you know, our creativity. So, uh, there were like practical 
uh, limitations. Uh, you know, we needed to be able to produce, you know, the drinks, the food, whatever in, you know, with the equipment that we had, uh, you know, at a speed that, uh, would allow our guests to like get served at all. You know what I mean? Like there's always like, uh, those considerations at the end of the day, we were still just a restaurant with a bar in it. Um, you know, we weren't, we weren't trying to challenge the notion of what a restaurant was. Um, but we were trying to be the, the best at everything, you okay. know? So give me an example of a time where one of these, uh, upper management individuals, uh, kind of did reel you in and say like, I love where you're going with this, but however, or like, was there, yeah, I think one of the, one of the funniest ones was, uh, uh, so I, I would actually write a lot of, um, the cocktail menus based on, uh, like a mixtape. Like when I, I put like a playlist together and named the cocktails after that. And the, the mixtape would kind of, uh, correspond to the cocktail list in a way that kind of had some internal logic, whether or not anybody could pick up on it. It's debatable. But that was kind of how, that was kind of my process. Right. Um, and I named one of the songs after, uh, an Adriano Celentano song called, uh, Priest and Colonense and Aguso, which is like a made up, like gibberish phrase <laughs> of like what this Italian guy thinks that the English language sounds like. And I thought it was like the funniest thing in the world to like name a cocktail that, and you know, we released that menu and, um, you know, it was, it was live for a couple of days. And then, you know, my boss, the GM, he texted me on like a Saturday morning and he was like, you're changing the name of that cocktail, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, say, say the name of the cocktail. Uh, pr- Priest and Colonense and Ancuso. And that's supposed to be an Italian's version of speaking English. Yeah. It's like what Italians think English sounds like. Apparently <laughs> it's just like, it's just like, it's complete gibberish. Uh, but I just thought it was like, it would be really funny to make people try to say it, I don't know. <laughs> you know? And like in hindsight, like, you know, I don't think it was like a, you know, I, I, I don't think that goof is necessarily like, you know, um, anti uh, hospitality i think there's a there's a there's a lot of reasons that people think that that could could be fun could be part of like the fun of trying to order it but i think at the end there is that kind of counter impulse it's like man if if they have a hard time saying it like is that is that the best thing for the guest and then it's like yeah probably not yeah you're you're probably more there's more (laughs) there's more people that are gonna be bummed trying to say it than there are people that are excited about it so like i'm just gonna we're gonna give it to the people or someone like me who would be like i like the way that sounds but i'm too afraid to order it because i'm pretty sure i'll say it and it was a great drink so we decided to change (laughs) the name but i mean i think i think um at the same time there's also that level of creativity where uh, you're also in, enticing a conversation mm-hmm. with the guests. Yeah, like, and that's and that's something like, that I, what the hell is that? Yeah. And like then you get to tell the story. And that's of, still something that I, I try to think about, and I think I've gotten more sophisticated in my in my thinking about that, especially now you know my current role where I get to write, you know, dozens and dozens of programs every you know year. I definitely want to spend some time before I wrap up today, like going into your thought process of how you approach a menu, yeah. the things that you consider when, cause you, you can tell it, tell there's a real level of creativity, not in just the recipe, but in the way that people are going to engage right, with yeah. the items. And I and, think that's interesting. And that's something that I've gotten better and better at. I feel like is learning to like how to, how to use language when writing uh, recipes so that it reads right on the page. Um, at the end of the day, I know that the drinks that I, you know, create or curate, um, 
are going to taste good. You know, I know how to balance the flavors. I know how to, you know, use ingredients of, you know, a, a, a quality that, um, you know, they'll, it'll, it'll, it's just going to taste good. Uh, that's not the battle, right? Like the battle is making people, uh, comfortable ordering the drinks, excited to order the drinks and still being able to like over deliver on top of that. Right. Um, like kind of, you know, to the point about like the to the point about the playlist too. Like, if if you're reading a menu and you see a a cocktail that you like, you're looking at, and you're reading the ingredients, and you like don't know how it's gonna drink, or you're really kind of intrigued by it, but also kind of like don't want to take a chance on it or whatever. Like you've already thought about it too long. If, like if if that's where you're at, then like it's created a distraction, right? I'm not saying you know you should write menus where every drink on it looks just like easy and crushable and not particularly interesting. And they're all kind of variations on the same thing. You know what I mean? Cause you don't want people to be challenged. You know, I don't think you should play it that safe, but I do think that it's important that, um, you know, we're not getting into like really cerebral territory with a, with a cocktail menu. You know? Yeah. You don't want people to think too hard, Yeah, <laughs> but you also want them to have fun with it. Um, we we got to spend some time too. Uh, I might even have you come back if you're down to really go into because I know you spent some time with a marketing agency, uh, consulting with marketing, and, and I'm assuming you yeah, did marketing. yeah. So I worked with uh, uh, Remy Quantro, which is a you know large um, European uh, spirits uh, producer importer. Uh, I worked with them for probably about f- almost five years. Uh, first launching a uh, or kind of relaunching uh, like a declassified Greek brandy called Metaxa. It's just like, so I'm, I'm half Greek. So it was like this kind of fun little passion project. And I got hooked up with, with these guys and it turned into like a, you know, um, uh, a, you know, long, long love story with, uh, you know, that side of the business. Right. Um, and we did a lot of like bartender engagement stuff, a lot of education stuff. I, you know, traveled around the country and taught seminars on like the science of, you know, how spirits and wine interact with, uh, barrels, right? Like, um, we just kind of did stuff and it was really fun. That's a, was, they were a really cool company, uh, to work with. Um, and I don't know. And like people still talk about that one weird summer in Austin, Texas, when like everywhere you went, people were doing shots of declassified <laughs> Greek brandy. <laughs> That's awesome. So, okay, let's we like a so, lot of lamb roasts yeah, that year. <laughs> I feel like we we got key. We got to talk about. We got to talk about the Townsend, uh, and we also have to talk about. I'm thinking. I'm, I'm missing Juniper. Sure, some really great restaurants. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I think when we left off last, you were just getting recruited by Key, um, and you said you were really at this time working with some of the most talented people that you. Yeah, had we had. You know, with. we had a. We, uh, guys that came from and, you know, went back to like working for, you know, Jose Andres's restaurants around the country. Um, you know, one of our like line cooks, uh, friend of mine, Rob Drennan is now like the, um, like head R and D chef at, you know, three Michelin star restaurant and, you know, wow. uh, in Oslo, Oslo, I think it's Oslo. I haven't been. um you know just like ever just people just like everybody you know because it was a crucible it was uh the probably the highest pressure um you know restaurant opening 
in the state, maybe the country that year. Paul had just uh, come off winning Top Chef, and I mean, uh, it was it was a time when Austin was still just barely small enough to, and the scene was kind of small enough to where like some like a a single restaurant could could really just break through and like you know be the talk of you know the industry you know austin's grown a lot and you know diversify the restaurant culture here is uh, expanded so wildly there's not those like singular places anymore and i think paul key is somebody who i've had the haven't had on the show yet but the plan is to get him on the show when i'm out in austin sure. he's got a really interesting story i mean he had extreme success out of the gates and kind of also at the same time uh I don't know how you would interpret it, but maybe the, the success got to him and uh, he got maybe a little out of control and started having a little too much fun. Maybe uh, it's been described. Um, what was it like? What was I mean, take us through the culture of key, uh, what it was to what it was like to, to get that kind of acclaim, the culture of it all. Uh, anything you want to talk about? Just, yeah. Just, just take I, yeah, I don't want to speak too much to, to Paul's uh, trials and tribulations. Um but uh yeah he 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 had a, a a rough patch for sure which i'm sure he'll you know happily go into he seems really him. willing to get into it so yeah. i'm really excited to get him on the show and it's not going to uh, be to to expose him but sure. to learn from his experience yeah. for sure uh, but i will say that like uh as much as the place had his name on the door uh it was uh like operationally speaking um you know the the like most impactful years uh, a period that we, that we had uh, there. I was there for uh, precisely two years of service. Um, were uh, I think owed uh, to Bill Mann, uh, who was the GM at the time, and uh, uh, Jorge Hernandez, who was the uh, chef de cuisine at the time. Um, and those guys are just like unbelievable. Uh, they, they were. I mean, they were you know really important mentors to me and. You know, I don't think I agreed with everything that they ever did, but they're the type of guys that like really, you know, you wanted to run through a brick wall for them, you so know, every single day. Take us through how they ran their restaurant, the things that you did learn from them, the ways they transformed you. Yeah, um, a lot of it was, you know, watching them stay organized, watching them. Uh, this was Bill Mann. What was the other gentleman's name? Uh, Jorge Hernandez. They, uh, you know, like some things it's as simple as like embracing technology, um, you know, something that I've tried to like run with even more than, um, you know, like what the, they introduced me to, but like, you know, like paying really strong attention to like, you know, your pipeline management of like all the little things that you've got to do, making sure you keep like detailed records of like every recipe that you've worked on. Um, and like, and, but most importantly, like every day, like trying to do better than the day before, try to learn from every mistake, but then like also don't get conservative about it while doing it. You know, don't, don't stop taking chances. Just be smarter about how you take chances every day. Give me an example of how you got smarter about taking chances. I don't know. I don't know if we got smarter. Well, I think you kind of mentioned it <laughs> yeah. real quick, uh, not just creating a recipe, but documenting the yeah. recipe, uh, knowing exactly what the the measurements are so you can recreate it in the future. Yeah, and, and having, you know, a kind of a, a profile written so you know that, like, it's t it's tasting right each each iteration, too. And, you know, documenting, like, like how you, like, store it. How you, like, you know, just documenting, like, every little thing. Like, um, 
and being able to go back to those files and be able to like you know uh use all of that R&D to create new things um kind of allows you you know it's 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 a it's a tool like it's a, an important tool to um you know have in your toolbox to be better so every day this? better at what you do like you can be more creative if you know you have backup right like you can spend more time thinking you know uh about like how we're going to you know do some like really crazy involved you know molecular kind of you know uh like high concept work for like say like the tasting room um you know if we know like the, if we know the basics of like how like you know if we've charted like the bricks of something we know how it'll freeze right um if we uh you know our if we know our proof we know how it might like denature a or the salinity of something might like denature like a foaming agent. You know what I mean? Like, the, like, and having that stuff documented, like it's, you're not trying to reinvent. That's creative kind of things where, each time. Yeah. Right? And, or if you, you have a playbook, right. And if you, maybe you're having an off day, right. Or you get kind of in the weeds, us uh, getting ready for a day. Mm-hmm. You can go back to your playbook with creating a, a, a cocktail menu for that night or whatever yeah. for specials. You can go back to that playbook. You can take one recipe, piece of the recipe out and supplement it with something else to change that whole drink. But at least you're not starting from scratch. Like you can just, you can go to that, that foundation. Right. And that must've, I'm assuming that saved you time. I'm assuming that saved you headaches having that. Yeah. It, 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 it it did because, you know, having that kind of knowledge and having like a, you know, a, a, a giant log of like every recipe that you've worked with, whether it was good or bad, um, or somewhere in the middle, you, uh, it helps kind of like, basically build like the you know the neural pathways for like instant recall of like how different flavors interact with each other right so um you know it's like it's like it's like a it's like a you know it's like working on a muscle it's like exercising this this muscle uh to to kind of understand something on a like a broad kind of conceptual level and understanding like the interplay of you know what you're working with like that and you're you know and you're able to do that because you know record keeping you're able to do that because you know your stuff is where you it's supposed to be because you put it away the exact same way every time, like little discipline, things like that, you know, um, dating, dating product. So that if it does change, like, you know, maybe why. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other key variable that we're not mentioning uh, from an ownership standpoint is that if something happens to you or if you take off all that work that you've done is now has been documented. Absolutely. So you're not, being dependent on the person you're being dependent on the process yeah yeah i i i'm passionate about systems and documentation that was something that you know i learned from those guys um you know just to see you know chefs like you know just meticulously documenting like weighing out you know to the gram like every ingredient that they're gonna put in something um you know I feel like it was, I'd call it, you know, it was like a permission structure to, 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 to give a shit about. You said it one more time about a permission structure. Yeah. What is a permission structure? Like, um, like it's a, like this thing that like allows me to know that something is, you know, acceptable or encouraged. Right. Um, like, or even in some ways, like even possible, right. Like, you know, to, to know that people can put that level of detail into, into their work, you know, made me 
want to do that. It's validation well. yeah. too. It's like, it's not just, this is from my mind. Like this is from my mind, but here's what it went into it. Like this yeah. is the, the thought process. Mm-hmm. Like there's something tangible there that went with, that comes from documentation. Yeah. Uh, and then I think the other thing we haven't maybe kind of danced around it a little bit was consistency. Um, if you like, if you want to recreate it, you don't have to do it by memory. Down yeah. to the gram, you can recreate yeah, that. Yeah, it's and that that consistency is uh, both like valid in terms of like you know like the long term output of like this same dish or the same uh, cocktail and having that be the same over time, but also like um, to be able to like consistently get better at everything because um, you know you understand the interplay of you know, X, Y, and Z ingredients, um, you know, you can refine, right? Cause like when you, when you document this drink, like well, what happens if you do try something new with it? Like you need to mark down like when you tried that new thing, right? Yeah. Um, and have a record of, you know, you could tie it, you could tie it to P mixes in terms of like people like reordering the drink, or you can just remember, you know, anecdotal feedback from, the staff about how well it worked. Right. I'm, I'm really curious. Do you have um, access to a, a document right now that kind of shows the framework of what that documentation process looks like with the columns that you would have, like the title of the drink, the the different table, like the, is that something that. Yeah, like, I have, how, I have, I have like? a, a few different things. So, um, you know, and I, I took a lot of these systems and I like refined them even more and suited them more to, you know, a slightly different type of operations when, you know, when I opened the towns and, but yeah, I would have, um, you know, I have like Excel sheets that have, you know, like the exact recipes in them and like different tabs. Um, uh, and then I've actually switched over to using OneNote for all of my uh, documentation. I'll, I'll usually build the recipe in Excel and copy it into OneNote. Uh, but you know, for, for the projects, for like ongoing projects, we had a different like filing system and it was, you know, it was just like a, a word doc. And basically you just, Kind of chronologically, like you know, at the top would be yeah, what, we, the what, what we think it? the recipe is right okay. now. Like this is the current iteration of, say, for like a syrup, right? So I'm making like an almond orgeat, right? So here's like what we think the current recipe is. This is like the best version of it right now. And then below that, you just literally have you know like dated every time we've made the batch if we did a tweak to it, and then notes on what we did to change it, what the recipe was that time, any feedback on it, any like process you know, change to it. And then we could look back over and watch how a recipe evolved. You know, one thing I'm also really curious about is the habit. How do you create the habit of keeping up with the documentation? Is there an order of operations, a thing like, are there rituals, things you do to make sure that these steps are being taken? Yeah, no, yes, there should be. Uh, I would say the most important thing though, is creating a culture where it's expected and encouraged where people like the idea of documenting this stuff where people like the idea of like not, you know, making just like a bunch of like fly by night, you know, recipes. Um, you know, how do you create that culture? Uh, I think a lot of it, I mean, I only know how to do it the way that I've seen it done and then how it's kind of evolved for me, but you know, it's, uh, working with people that really give a shit, uh, being the type of leader that, um, uh, you know, people want to work for and want to do what you say. That's something you mentioned with Bill and Jorge. One of the, the bullets I wrote down is being better than you were the day before and sure. that they instilled this culture. Yeah. Uh, does that kind of tie into what you're saying that, that they created this culture of giving a fuck? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, uh, 
I, yes. I mean, the, the, <laughs> the short answer is yes. Like if you, um, if you want to be better each day, then you need to know how good you were the day before. Right. So like, you know, like I, I would, you know, so it was as simple as like introducing like Townsend was, you know, uh, we had, we had, a, I mean, we we're, you know, top 25 restaurants, you know, one year in Austin, Texas, but we were a cocktail bar first. Right. And to have like a cocktail bar where we like ran like a pre-shift every single day, uh, was a pretty unusual thing. Um, I, I applied a lot of like those kind of restaurant kind of standard restaurant practices, uh, to, to this cocktail bar format. Like, um, you know, to have, uh, you know, to, to, to take tricks from the kitchen and like apply them to like how, you know, we log our own, you know, bitters production or whatever our R and D projects are. Right. Um, and you know, just making sure that we're staying on top of stuff and then like using technology, like using stuff as simple as, you know, uh, the, I think the app folded, it, it became a Microsoft to do, but it was called a Wonderlist. You know, and to have Wonderlist there to just be, you know, your checklist instead of, um, you know, like like physical just pieces of paper instead of like just making landfill every day, right? Like embracing these, you know, kind of technological solutions to keep people on track. Just use Google calendars, like literally, like just yeah, let's have a Slack channel, exactly. let's have a Google calendar, like let's embrace all of these things, and you know, and, and all these mind, things, by the way, are free. Yeah. Oh, All yeah. these things are free. I think to a certain degree, yeah. right? Yep. Uh, Slack is free to a certain de- mm-hmm. up to a certain point. So many messages. Yeah. Uh, things like Trello that help you manage projects, so, so you can mm-hmm. identify and label certain projects to certain people where they are on that project if it's if it's been started if it's if they're working on it, if it's complete like all these things all these tools that only the people with the big money had yeah. are now available to all of us and it's really le- like leveling the playing field and we don't we do not take advantage of these yeah things. i so i mean when i opened the town you know when i opened the towns and you know i wanted to employ as many things i had learned working for you know these great restaurant minds and you know this kind of cocktail bar format and one of the things i told you know i hired my you know my first bar manager over there you know, he's a friend of mine, smart guy, whatever. But like, I knew the bars he'd worked at before. And I was like, listen, like, I'm not going to let you run my bar, you know, on uh, thermal paper, on notes, on like handwritten notes on thermal paper. Like, we're not going to do it like that. Everything's going to be online. Everything's going to be searchable. Um, you know, all our nightly notes to each other. We didn't have some shitty little bar log where people scribbled some stuff in. Like you, you know, after service, you got your computer out and you like wrote the notes and you put it in the Dropbox. And so all the management team can like look at it. Right. And little simple stuff like that. Like, you know, we, we were better for it. Um, can you take us through, did you say this was at Townsend? Townsend, yeah. So, um, can you take us through the technology that you guys leveraged there and like your process for leveraging technology, like the, your favorite tools, if you could drop that on us. I know yeah. I mean, I would say thing. like, um, wonder, wonder list was a huge one for us. Um, because we were running a, uh, uh, like a tablet based point of sale. Right. So we had these iPads like, behind the bar. Yep. So instead of like counting on people going over and getting the notebook out and writing the thing that we just ran out of in it to be able to put it, you know, in, in their, you know, garbage, you know, handwriting, yeah. right. Uh, to be able to have people like, you know, basically on the point of sale, like flip over to a different app mm-hmm. and just like quickly, like write in, like, you know, whatever thing that they just discover that we need to, you know, order quickly. Um, it's really, it's, it's so simple. I mean, it's just, it's such a simple thing. Um, you know, and this, this was, you know, 
I, we didn't get super granular with, with every piece of technology, right? Uh, it was more about like just getting people used to it at all. I mean, I felt like, you know, 2015 and it's crazy to say, but like in 2015, like, you know, every bartender, you know, I hired was even like the little, even the millennials, right. Like, yeah. We're like absolutely analog. Um, and just getting them to just put things in the, cl- you know, just put it in the, the you know, Excel cloud, sheet yeah. and put it in the cloud. You know what I mean? It can be that easy. Uh, and I know that, you know, we just, we, we, we were better off for it. Um, you know, and I, you know, I obsessively use Microsoft OneNote, you know, now I didn't, I didn't at the time, but you know, every day I just try to find new things and new ways to create systems that, um, makes that makes sense and like constantly develop them and throw, throw something away if it doesn't work too, mm-hmm. you know? Awesome. Oh, so we didn't even mention, uh, eventually why you left key, uh, in well, cause I, I mean, I had the opportunity to open the towns and so I was so doing, I was you? doing consulting stuff, you know, I randomly did consulting work here and there and, uh, I, you know, Key was always fine with it, and um, so I started consulting on this cocktail bar project. And eventually, um, you know, they liked my work and offered me a partnership there. Uh, and it was great. It was. What great was it like to, to have to go from a, a place where, like Key, where you're so used to that standard, you're surrounded by such talent, to and not to say that the the talent wasn't at Townsend. But you're leaving this group that's so established, so yeah. well known to go start something yeah. new. What was it like to have to carry that along and to, to operate at that level? Did you have to bring people up? I was to so level? used – yeah. I mean I was so used to operating at that level um, that it felt really, it felt perfectly normal to just every day continue to just try to run through a brick wall, you know. And I found people that liked that idea, you know. I was lucky enough to have, you know, a staff that by and large, you know, those – you know. It was a team of people that, you know, were similarly excited by the prospect of doing something great. We got a ton of, you know, critical praise early on. And, you know, a lot of that, uh, you know, owing to you know me still having some some shine on me from the, the key days. Um, and, you know, it felt good. It felt like we were doing something huge, you know. And this is the first time that you had equity, right? Correct. So what was that like? Did you – do you have any advice for going into a partnership, things that maybe you wish you had known then that – um, it, every, I, mean, I think every, every one of those deals is going to be a little bit different. I think you need to do what's best for yourself and your family. You know what I mean? I think you need to just look at the offer and see if it jives with, you know, who who you want to be and how you want to work and then go out and try to kill it every day. Like I, I don't have any advice on that. Other so than, how did this deal jive with you? What was right about it for you that made you want to, uh, it, it was, it was a time it was, I was at a point in my career where I, it felt right. It felt like having the place with, you know, it wasn't my name on the door, but having a place where like, you know, I was kind of the, you know, singularly in charge of all, everything we offered, right. The, the kind of the identity of the place. Um, you were singly in charge for everything you offered the identity of that place where, yeah. So I mean, I like, uh, the cocktail program was mine, the back bar, you know, it, I had a great team that helped me with everything. You know, I had a great team that helped curate the, the spirits on the back bar or help, you know, work up cocktail recipes. But like, um, you know, the way that, the way that even though it was very much, you know, day to day, it was Bill and Jorge at key. Um, it was still Paul's name on the door. Right. And this was kind of like that same deal. Like I had an incredible team, but you know, when people talked about that place, they were talking about, you know, me and my sensibilities. Right. 
my sensibilities for that place. I should probably caveat, um, you know, and I, and I relish the chance to have all of the pressure on me. I think that was like the, the really like guiding principle. You wanted that. Pressure. Yeah, yeah. I wanted that pressure at that time. So it was like the, it was the right move. Um, you know, I just wanted to see what I could do with nothing, come up with everything and just take it to the end, you know? So I had a, I had a great partner. Uh, he still has the place I left. Um, after two years, so, I guess. So how do you go from wanting that pressure, wanting that responsibility, wanting to have your name on it to getting away from it? What, what things changed that you, you no longer wanted it? Uh, there were certain uh, business things, you know, uh, this is where know, the he, conversation yeah. gets a little awkward sometimes, yeah. but I mean, he was my friend. He still is my friend. Um, but he, uh, he had a certain lever, like he kind of let me run how whatever I wanted, and you know we're, we opened up at a time in a location that was you know a part of downtown that uh, was kind of away from a lot of the other action, right? Um, and business just wasn't great. Okay, and so we had to make some tough decisions, and like he had, you know, he and I were the only two decision makers, but his, you know, but in a vote, like his vote was louder than mine because he had all the money in it. And uh, we just kind of wanted to do some things some different ways. And it just seemed like it would probably be easier if I just left okay. after a while, you know. So knowing what you know now, going into that uh-huh. situation, would you have done anything differently? Would you have a- approached that situation differently to have any different outcome? Uh, if if I was handed the opportunity and it looked the same as it did, yeah. I, I I would tell myself to continue to take it. I mean, what I what I did there, I'm incredibly proud of, and you know what I learned there, um, you know, will definitely inform everything I do. What did you future. learn there? Um, I learned that I will probably. I don't think that I will ever open another place unless I'm uh, the majority partner unless it's like literally like is my name on the door unless it is um you know where if i I would never open a place where i would be able to walk away from Mm -hmm. the place i guess right like because he he was he had everything he had all the money in it i was just like you know sweat right um and i don't think uh i don't think i would open a place where i would allow it myself to be in a position where it would be as easy as just say like hey why don't we just like shake hands and like you you, you take it from here you i kind of I mean? feel like is the word autonomy? i would rather like, i would rather go down with the ship next yeah time, you know? well i think a sense of autonomy where you're not letting anything govern what you do it's a sense of, of creation yeah because because of- my partner and i made a lot of compromises right that's what you do mm-hmm. uh, in a partnership and i don't know that a lot of our compromise decisions were necessarily as good as if we just did his idea or just did my idea. You know what I mean? Um, uh, you know, it's hard. You know, it's hard to run a really good experiment with as many variables as there are when you have uh, partners that aren't a hundred percent aligned a hundred percent of the time. You yeah, know? exactly. I think that's one of the big lessons right there too. Is uh, before getting into these these partnerships, everybody will say that they're on the same. Mm-hmm boat but do you are is the ship are both 
of your ships going in the same direction. Yeah. Because like, your ships are tied. Yeah. Like they're tied to each other and well, and, and you don't really other. know you don't really know if you're not aligned until you're not aligned. Yeah, right? Exactly. And it, it's it's hard. I mean to to. I mean, what's that conversation look like to make sure that you're aligned, right? Yeah. See, I don't, I don't know, and I don't necessarily believe that even that conversation would help, right? Because we did have that conversation, um, but like, eventually, like there are other, um, you know, stimuli that kind of make make that you'll change. You'll change the your own decision making process, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think it's fair to ask people to never be able to change their mind. Like I pride myself on like trying to like find a way to change my mind every single day mm. about something. Like I always want to like question myself and like make sure that, um, you know, I'm making good decisions. I'm doing, I'm looking for like best practice, looking ways to like refine. Right. Um, so to, to say that, you know, in two years time, we're going to make every decision the exact same way that we think we're going to make it right now. I, I think you're setting yourself up for some trouble too. Mm-hmm. I think you just have to get lucky. You know, I was lucky enough to, you know, leave that company and still be friends, you know, with my partner. I'll, you know, that's, that's not, you know, so that, that's something case. that's worth getting into. Um, how do you go to, from a situation where there's a clear, uh, unalignment mm-hmm. to severing the relationship, the business relationship, but still maintaining the human relationship uh, in a very well, healthy way. There, yeah. There was a mutual respect. The, the whole reason the process started was because, you know, we really respected each other. We respected each other's backgrounds. Um, and like, we liked spending time together. Right. Um, so it was, it was easy for me just, you know, to leave and for it to still be really civil because, you know, that's just who I wanted to be and that's who he wanted to be, you mm-hmm. know? And I think that like that, that was, I think that was so fundamental to the business even coming together to begin with that uh, it kind of, to me, it makes sense that, you know, it ended civilly because we were, you know, friends, we care about each other. You yeah. Know? You want to be mindful of that shit too, because this industry is small. And if yeah. you start burning bridges and you start uh, flipping over tables and start, calling people out for bullshit or whatever, then it, you're just burning bridges, right? Yeah. Uh, you don't want to go there. Uh, so we still haven't talked about Juniper. Any key lessons from Juniper? Any, any big takeaways worth going into there? Uh, things worth mentioning? Uh, yeah. I, God, I love those guys so much. Chef Nick is, you know, just so fun and so brilliant. And his food's amazing. And that space is great. And he's cultivated a great team. He's still going you strong know, over there. Too. And, I, and I, you know, and I, I miss those guys all the time. But like the thing that I learned over there was, like I don't, I can't. I don't think I can do restaurant ops as not a partner. You know, I was like coming out of the towns and like, you know, I I'm really proud of the work that I did at Juniper. I think we turned the corner on a couple of really major things. I think we got better. Um, you know, in in my time there. So when you joined Juniper, had they they'd been, been open? They'd, they'd been open for a year, a little over a year. Like a year, a year and a quarter or something, they'd been open. So, what was your influence when you got there? How did you improve the operation? Uh, I just looked. I looked at systems or where I thought there could be systems and there weren't systems. Just like you know, how do we document things? Like, what do our order sheets look like? Like, I established. I immediately established you know purchasing budgets. You know, like the like pretty pretty basic stuff, but the type of stuff that you know they were kind of operating without a true GM, and it was like they were just you know. Uh, a little bit like, um, you know, things were going really well, but, 
they were just kind of just muscling it every week, just trying to hoping to make good decisions, but they just didn't have anybody that could just like live and die by focusing on those parts of the business, right? So everyone's kind of contributing, and everyone's hoping that. What do you, you mean know, those parts of the business? Like like running purchasing budgets, like like setting pars, like uh, um, you know those those basic like you know business maintenance. Things, so, you know, but like making sure that like the, you know, like repair and maintenance, like, you know, vendor lists were accurate. Okay. You know what I mean? So like when something broke, we like, you know, anybody could go grab Protocol. the book and like yeah, this, know who to call. If, Just if this, establishing, this. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's like all your SOPs. Yep. Um, and, you know, just getting them kind of put back together. Like they had a lot of that stuff. And but then, you know, a year, Drifts. a year plus of being open, like a lot of the. Things a lot change. of those things change, right? Exactly. So I just kind of helped put put it back together for them, and you know, tried to just keep running great services. I mean, hospitality was never an issue over there. The quality of the food and drink was never an issue over there. Like I walked into like a dream role, you know. What I mean, I got to work on some systems with my friends and run services five nights a week, and you know, it was a lot of fun. If, if we can spend like the rest of our but free like, f- but having like you know, but it but it was you know Chef Nick's place. It wasn't my place. And coming off the towns and like, um, it, I had a great year at Juniper, but I I, I wasn't going to be capable of doing it for that much longer. And then, you know, this Glacier's gig uh, came came out. So, what was it about not having your name on the door anymore that really just didn't sit well with you? Um, it wasn't that it didn't sit well. Like, I obviously I certainly didn't like resent anybody. Um, Maybe that wasn't the best yeah. choice of words, but the, the, why you couldn't do it like this to, to, to the sustained energy like that sustained beat down uh every day um to do it and to not have skin in the game. have skin in the game um and this may well just be like me just admitting like a you know major personal shortcoming you know what i mean but like i couldn't having having had it that way i couldn't um it just once it didn't feel. It just didn't. Taste, it just didn't feel the same. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. Uh, I felt like I was doing the same amount of work, but it felt like the work was harder. Doing it for somebody yeah. else, not for yourself. Yeah, and I didn't want to resent. Yeah, you know these people that I care deeply about. You know, like um, you're you're tapping on a something that I think is really key, and I think it's the future of the industry, uh, as at least at the top line restaurants. Uh, I think the days of having one or two partners. Uh, that kind of run the show are, are kind of over just because of, you know, the the shortage of employees is trickling up mm-hmm. the management to ownership. Oh, sure. Right. And to, to operate at that high level, to get those people on your team, to, to get the best mm-hmm. next to you, that the people like you, and you just said it, I wouldn't do it unless I had equity in no. the game. Right. And you're going to see a lot of uh, partnerships where there's maybe three or four or five partners and they own five restaurants yeah. together and they, and they, you know, divide and conquer. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's the only way that you're going to be able to attract onto yourself that, that level of talent is by yeah, giving there, there is a certain lightning in the bottle kind of quality to getting groups like that together where everyone can, can absolutely stay in their own lanes. And, yeah. Though, you and know? they all take less because for them, it's about the pride. It's about the reputation. Mm-hmm. It's about the, the work, the craft. Yeah. And right? as long as everybody stays in their own lanes, I, I think that that can, work and i think we'll continue to see more and more of that i would i, I would hope so i would hope we would see more and more of that i do too uh it, one thing i want to get from you before we start to wrap things up uh you said you, you came on and you got to take a collection of everything you you learned implementing systems to go into juniper to uh 
implement these systems. Can you give us some specifics on a a, a system, a, a way to improve? Say you mentioned, uh, I don't know if, if it's going to be possible, to, but this is something I'm trying to be better about. Like the numbers you said, creating budgets, ordering sure. budgets. Like, what does that look like? What things do we need to consider when doing that? Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a pretty simple process to like put together your purchasing budgets. Like basically, like you know, you figure out uh, how much money you need to stay open. <laughs> um, you know, you know, like your target cost of goods. Um, and then you just, you know, we ran, um, uh, 13 periods over this four week, you know, four week, uh, periods. And, um, uh, you know, we would just, we would look at the numbers in the books. We'd figure out who was coming in. We figure out price point and we would just try to figure out, you know, how, like what, what is our projection? Um, based off of based trends. For the, for, yeah, based off of trends and like some just a little bit of black magic, right? And we figure out like what we think we're going to uh, have to spend for to keep inventory for these four weeks. Um, and that's the easy part, right? The, the hard part is like then being like, okay, but I really want to buy this whole pig. You know what I mean? The hard part <laughs> is like, well, you know, if, if I buy a case of this wine, then we get like a, you know, yeah. a deep discount. And it's like, cool, but like we and also we have, have to all keep that money. But on then the we shelf. also have to keep, yeah, but then yeah. we also have to keep our budget. Like, can we, you know, sell this whole case in this period? You know, and so then you're like, the, you know, there's a lot of like horse trading on it. You know, there's a lot of like negotiations with like the chef team, like, you know what week can we get a pig in what you know how big of a fish can i buy you know what i mean but you know we 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 made it work and it was fun it was a fun discipline you how know? do you make that fun how do you make that from something that's just like oh fudge this like like because how- because um it's the difference between uh you you getting a paycheck and you not getting a paycheck like you make you make it you make it fun because like it's survival sometimes. Yeah, you have to make it fun. Yeah, and I think it's you can make it cre- like you know a lot, of, a lot of creative minds get into. Well, this that, and that's the thing is like with the, especially with the food side, it's like okay, cool. So like we're gonna get a whole pig in. Like how much are we gonna sell this part for? How much are we gonna sell this part? What's this gonna yield? Like and how can we make sure that like like every single piece of this pig gets sold? You know by the end of the period, like you know what are we grinding up to put in what dishes? Like what you know and and, and having that you know, um, it like inform the cuisine a little bit. I think it's also too like the gamification of it. Like you said, making Uh it fun. And that comes from teaching people the, the, the game, right? The numbers, like in educating people and then bringing your whole team in on the project. Like, this is what we got to work with because of these reasons. This is why, like, what can we do? How can we get creative and how can we look at the numbers next week and and do it even better Yeah, and beat ourselves. Right. And absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, and try. Yeah, we're. And the thing is, you get that feedback. You do get feedback because you run your numbers the next period, and you see how you did, and you see what your score is. You, and know? you don't have to do it by yourself. I think when you do it by yourself yeah. and you're trapped, we tried in the to office. keep the books reasonably open with with the staff, and we would do we would go through the P and L um, at like our you know, weekly meetings. Yeah, it's always fun to suffer with other people, right? For sure, for sure. (laughs) So anything we haven't dropped in this free-flowing portion of the conversation? Uh, I know you got to get going. you got to catch a flight. I do. Uh, So anything you want to drop on us before we wrap up with the speed round? Oh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure. I I think that... uh, I lost track of time. Yeah, I would say, I would say that like, uh, you know, I'm talking through all these different points in my career, I'd say that like 
uh, I just want to express my gratitude to all these amazing people that I got to work with that, you know, and getting to kind of think about all of them in one sitting is it's, it's fun. It's nice. Cool, man. Well, you've been great. We're gonna take a quick break to thank our sponsor and we'll be right back. All right. I have a question for you. How can an anonymous employee reporting program be a profit center for your restaurant? Hmm. Well, for starters, fraud alone represents a staggering loss to the restaurant industry with an estimated 40 billion in losses in the U.S. in 2017 alone. And this does not include the losses and costs associated with the more than 540,000 calls made to the U.S. EEOC in 2017, resulting in millions of dollars in penalties and legal costs for restaurant owners and investigators related to claims of harassment and discrimination. So do I have your attention? Good, because there's more. Employee tip-offs about misconduct continue to be the most common method for detection and prevention, but employees are often deterred from reporting their concerns directly to supervisors because they're afraid that there's going to be retaliation or they might lose their job or something, and I get it. But with Ethics Suites Anonymous and web-based RestaurantEthics.com, you can provide a safe, secure, simple, and anonymous communication channel between you and your employees to help protect your hard-earned reputation and assets. Go to ethicssuites.com slash restaurant unstoppable and you'll get three additional months so for the cost of 12 months you'll get 15 months or head over to the show notes and find the banner and you can use the link there if you listen to restaurant unstoppable i'm sure you've heard me say it before but i'll say it again there are two things that you need to let determine your growth the first thing that's people the second thing that's cash flow and we've got you covered on the cash flow part of things because i'm working with cashflowtool.com the ultimate cloud-based solution for your business cashflowtool.com is simple powerful and predictive it's simple because it requires no data entry it's always up to date and it works on any device anywhere it's powerful because with its built-in cash flow calendar activity feed and anomaly detector you instantly know all aspects of your cash flow with no surprises and it's predictive because you know your cash flow today and you can anticipate it tomorrow head over to www.cashflowtool.com slash and enter promotional code unstoppable at checkout and you'll receive pro features at the essential features price we're back and the first question i have for you is what is your if factor a habit a trait a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success um i think i we touched on it earlier i try really hard to be reflective i try really hard to um uh think a little bit different each day than i did the day before what is your biggest weakness um, I hate saying things twice. What's one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process? Uh, I I always ask um, like what other places in town uh, the interviewee is into. And what are you looking for? Mm, th- thoughtfulness. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for them to like know why they like something. So do you once they say it? Do you do you dive deeper? Do you Absolutely. pull back layers? Yeah. Cool. Unless um, they say some really dumb shit. I think also, but <laughs> if they're saying things that you also agree with yeah. that you're aligned, then you kind of can pick up that maybe they're on the same exactly. path. Or as maybe you. they like something that I don't like, but um, but I really like their reasoning for it. Mm-hmm. What is your biggest challenge today? This is gonna be interesting because you're not working; you're in the industry. Yeah, uh, yeah I, a lot of I think it's the same challenge as it was before in a lot of ways, though, and that's you know like fight chaos every day, right? Like now I write programs for 
dozens of places, um, you know, and every place is different and keeping everything just on track, keeping, uh, you know, kind of inventing systems for, you know, inventing systems to keep my systems together. You know, when there's like this many, this many different establishments with this many operators that have this many different needs, uh, and tastes, uh, and, you know, in a file of like thousands of cocktails, you know, I got you share one code of conduct or behavior. You would teach your team a way to be a way to act a core value. Oh, um, fucking push. I love it. Uh, one uncommon standard of service you would teach your team. This is something that was common within your four walls, but not common throughout other bars in the city. Hmm. Uh, if we're speaking about bars, and I feel like we are, um, lots of meetings, pre-shift every day, and uh, the tray is the way. I hate when uh, people carry a drink through a like when servers carry a drink with just their hands. Why is that? And I'm right there with you. I don't understand. Like I feel naked without a tray. Yeah. I don't know why people, I mean, you can do so much more with the tray. Uh, why is that your way? Um, yeah. Cause, because it's just nicer. Like, I mean, yeah, there's the efficiencies. Yes. Like it enables you to like, you know, pick up more, you know, dead drinks from the dining room on your way back, you know? Uh, but at the end of the day, like, you're bringing this to some. You're, you're not. You're not a guest. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. You're like you're you're working. Um, like, so when you're walking through the room, like, you should be holding holding that drink differently than when the way a guest would hold it when they walk through the room. Give me one tip for somebody who fights the trays the way. Uh, what's one piece of advice you have for that person? Maybe they're afraid to, to carry a tray. Sure. What's one tip you have? Um. The tray is the way. That is the tip. <laughs> the tip is to like do it because I said so. Yeah, once you do it, I think that yeah. people are afraid. They're intimidated by carrying a tray. Yeah. But it's, it, like it's the same thing. Else. Like there's no – I think there's there's nothing that you can push back that I won't have. You know, it's like, oh, we don't have enough trays? Cool. I'll buy you more trays. Yep. You know, oh, oh, you don't like that tray, it, you know, because something about it is slippery? That's fine. We'll get a different tray. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'll work with you on it. I got The tray is the way. But the tray is the way. I got you. Share one um, book that's a must-read to make us a better person or restaurant operator. Oh, man. Um, uh, was it Trevor Corson, right? Uh, the, Art of, the Art of Sushi? That's a first-time mention on the show. Uh, yeah, I... I I read it in like a really particular point in, you know, my management career, I guess. And then I, I like got it for like my whole staff. Um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, um, it, you know, it tells the story it's, it tells the story of like, you know, a, a lot of guys kind of having a hard time, uh, it's about like a bunch of like young sushi cooks coming up in like the sushi school and like, you know, it's kind of, you know, there's a lot of like histories in there or whatever, but like, it's, um, you know, it's kind of, a, it's like, a, it's like the opposite of no reservations a little bit. Like, <laughs> What's the big lesson though? What, what, how did that book make you better? Oh, just that like everything is a beat down and just keep trying to do it. Beautiful. You know? Gotcha. Uh, is there one thing that you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? I don't know. Everything kind of, I, I 
yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know that I have a. I have a great answer for that. I think we need to have a serious conversation about tipping in this country. I'll say that much. <laughs> okay. I think that uh, it's not something they don't do often enough. It's something that uh, I think is broken about our industry, and we need to really uh, have to make some really hard choices about how we handle compensation. Which, without getting into too much detail, which model do you think is most appropriate? Uh, I I think. I mean, I like me personally. I think we should go hospitality included, and like there is no tip line. Like I pay everybody, you know, a living wage and to, to seed, you know, 20 something percent of your revenue, you know, to, uh, you know, not be able to control like where you can apply that revenue seems crazy to me to I think there needs to be a real a serious conversation with the general public as to what it costs to run a restaurant yeah. and then to charge people the work in the labor costs into yeah. the price. I'm right there with you because um, it's it's it shouldn't be the way yeah. it is yeah. to, to run a to business. Not, yeah, to, just, to, to not be able to give a raise this is what it of costs a dollar for me to, to do to, like a job. cook. Yeah, you to, know this what I is mean? what it costs. Yeah. And to have that conversation, I think a lot of people's perception of the value of food yeah. is warped. And when they see outrageous costs, like, well, oh, I cost so much. I'm like, I got people to take care of, yeah. you know, and this is what it costs. And we need to have that conversation yeah. for sure. Um, what is one technology you recommend that's had a big op- big influence on operations? We kind of already talked a little bit about technology today, but anything you want to put? Yeah, a, I mean, I'll, I'll plug I'll plug uh, Microsoft to do. Um, it's uh, each update it gets a little 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 better. Um, uh, it's been a lifesaver for me. I mean, just be able to make notes when something pops into my head, you know, and then be able to kind of manage those things. Microsoft to do and Microsoft OneNote. I'm going out there with Microsoft today, you guys. Beautiful. This is the last question. Are you ready for it? It's a yeah. doozy. So if you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and the restaurants that you've worked in would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for this industry. What would those three pearls of wisdom be? Three truths, things you know to be true. Um, well, I know that uh, this is honest spiritual work um communities cannot be communities without having taverns in them um that's one this that's is one honest spiritual work what's yeah. number two um you could only do really great work in this world uh if you're being true to yourself to do lasting work i should maybe say you'll only be able to do lasting work in this world if it's uh if you're if you're conceptualizing it you know as true to yourself Mm. and what's number three it never gets easier but it does get more fun (laughs) never gets easier but it does get more fun and i'm happy that you're saying that because yesterday i was talking to jason boso up in dallas from twisted root burger and i was like and i said it gets easier and he's like and i was like why did i say that i know it doesn't get easier (laughs) um you know, and I think we kind of said that earlier today, like when you own your restaurant, it doesn't mean that you get to take your foot off the gas right. and work less hard. It just means that you have more clarity. You you know why you're working, mm-hmm. right? And, and you know what to work harder on. Yeah. And and it, like you said, if you do that, like it gets funner. Yeah. You know, and that's awesome way to wrap this thing up. Uh, great conversation today, Justin. Again, thank you so much. We wrap up every conversation by calling somebody out. So who's one person you would admire in Austin? Maybe a couple people because you really are well connected in this city. People you think I should get on the show while I'm spending the winter here. Yeah. Um, 
There's a lot of there's a lot of interesting interesting characters in town. I would love for you to be able to talk to uh, Bill Mann. He still lives in Austin. Um, uh, from the key, yeah, he's, yeah. he's he was a key. Um, from the like the strictly bar side of the world, um, there's definitely some there's definitely some characters in town. Um, I feel like you. I feel like uh, Billy Hankey. I think over at King B. I think uh, you would really enjoy speaking with him. He uh, he's a really really sweet guy with a, uh, a lot of interesting ideas. Awesome, Bill Mann and Billy Hankey. Look out! I'm coming after you guys. So I'd love to get you in the show. And how can we connect with you if we want to uh, maybe use your services or follow you on Instagram or whatever? Uh, yeah, Instagram and Twitter. I'm at J Dan Elliott. Uh, two L's and two T's. Um, uh, Southern Glaciers, you can follow on uh, SG Wine Spirits uh, on Instagram. Um, yeah, holler at me, DM me. <laughs> nice. Let's talk about cocktails. <laughs> this is episode 557. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 557. I'll link to all the tools, uh, resources, how to connect, and a summary of today's discussion will be over there. Again, Justin Elliott, thank you so much. Thank you. Man, you were just a real pleasure to talk to you. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. (laughs) Cheers. (laughs) Cheers. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Some great stuff today. Again, Justin Elliott, thank you so much for coming on the show to share your story and your knowledge. What did we take away from today? Uh, I think something that came up a lot was you know surrounding yourself with people who give an F, right? And also, I love the sense of leading by example and uh, leading from the front. And nobody's going to work harder for your restaurant than you work for your restaurant. So keep that in the back of the mind. Like, what are you communicating uh, with your actions, right? Also, the leveraging of technology. I loved it. Uh, Trello, Slack, Microsoft To Do, Microsoft OneNote, some of the tools that were mentioned today. Guys, a lot of this stuff is free to use at first. There's no reason why you can't be leveraging these technologies to stay organized, to improve communication, and to give yourself an edge. Some great stuff out there. I mean, you can create your own systems and processes, or you can leverage technology uh, people that have identified issues and have created solutions for those issues, uh, you, you'll never create something better on your own, likely, right? So leverage the tools that are at your disposal. Uh, man, just so many great things came from today's conversation. Uh, thanks again, Justin Elliott. And like always, guys, you know how to reach me, Eric, at restaurantunstoppable.com. Tell me who you want to hear from. Tell me how I can best serve you. Keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. I I really love those reviews, guys. Honestly, uh, I put my nose down. I grind. I crank out three episodes a week, and uh, I don't get the instant gratification uh, of knowing that this content is serving you that it's inspiring you that you're you're becoming empowered because of it so when i get those reviews it reminds me that there is a reason why i'm doing this that you guys are finding value that you are growing and that this work is not going unnoticed so thank you if you've left a review and thank you if you're thinking about leaving a review it really does help me out not to mention it's great for the rankings and then uh, lastly the best way to serve this podcast and this mission of inspiring empowering and uh, you know, 
transforming our industry is by sharing this resource. If you know of anyone who's aspiring to be great in the industry, put this sucker on their radar. And thank you so much if you already have. All right, guys, that's all for today. Thanks for hanging around this long. I love you all. And until next time, peace out.